Uh, why is everything about men all the time? Patriarchy. Patriarchy. Boo. <laughs>
Yes, right. Mm. Oh, well, I mean, some people aren't very sexual. Yeah. Well, his thing is like, oh, that is not how the wolf should sound. Yeah. So he was fine with it for the prince, but just not the wolf, which yeah. was interesting. And I somehow in my head, I thought that Joshua Henry was that prince. Oh, really? Yeah, And I thought no. Gavin Creel was the – and that in my head makes a lot more sense. I have to say I agree. Like I just assumed Joshua Henry was the wolf and the prince. And then soon it's going to be Andy Carl is going to be playing Rapunzel's prince. So right. he, he took over for Gavin Creel for a little while as Cinderella's yes. prince. Yes. But, yes, he's going to be taking well, over from Josh Henry. I mean, Gavin Creel has a beautiful voice, oh, right? Stunning. But when paired with Joshua Henry in Agony, it's like who – like, who thought these two yeah. were on even footing? No. <laughs> so, anyway, Joshua Hendry should be Cinderella's prince. Otherwise, whoa, it's so beautiful. Yeah. Um. One choice I'm really loving mm-hmm. is in No One Is Alone. Yes. Every other cast recording um, lets them finish the song when yes. the giant arrives. Yes. And they cut it off like it is in the show. Yes. Yes. Which is so – that's how it should be. That's right. That's because how the people goes. think that there's an ending to that song, but there isn't. No. The giant arrives. That's that's right. Yeah, it's really nice. And what I will say is that I probably wouldn't have enjoyed watching Sarah Bareilles as the baker's wife, but, but it's lovely to listen to her. God, some of her vocal choices are so beautiful because yes. they're so not musical theatre yes. as well. And uh, it's just nice to hear that the baker's wife sound like that. Yes. You know? Yeah. Uh, and obviously Brian Darcy James is just amazing. Oh, just everyone. And I've heard, because a few people have told me they didn't really like Patina Miller's performance as well. Well, yeah. But again, vocally. Just gorgeous. She's just got gorgeous. such a lovely tone. Such a lovely tone. I will say I didn't think her rap was particularly strong. Quite slow as well. Slow. Can, we ju- can I just say, on record, Josephine did it much faster so than fast. that. So <laughs> fast. I was like, fuck, Patina Miller gets to slow hers down and I have to just struggle I, along I found the tempo in general yeah. quite slow, yeah. which I guess is just because. But it's just an obvious slowdown in that section, yes. right? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, What I just feel like her singing obviously is amazing, but the rap was a bit stilted mm. and it could be the pace of it or it could just be that she, like, it's not really in her wheelhouse. Yeah. Unlike me because I'm quite a rapper. You are. I mean, I often say that about you in public to <laughs> yes, other people. Good. Um, what else did – oh, I thought Philippa Sue's voice has just really strengthened as well. Mm. There was something – I don't know if, like, this is a vocally more suitable role yeah, for it, her. It definitely than is. anything else she's done. Because I think about, like, not that we have a recording of her doing Great Comet, but, yeah. of course, she played yeah. um, that role in Great Comet. Yeah. Um, Oh my god, I'm blanking. Danae Benton yes. before, like off Broadway, and then she went on to do Hamilton. Yeah. But when you think about that role, it's much more like legit soprano. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it really makes sense. And so, like, there were times when I had to remind myself this was Philippa Sue because it just didn't have the same sort of quality. And I, I love what she does with Eliza, obviously. Yeah, Hamilton, that's awesome. But this is just so much more suited to her voice, yeah. and she can really let rip. Yeah. So that is a good segue because I'm very excited that she will be playing Sergeant Sarah Brown. Yes, in the Kennedy Center Guys and Dolls. Yeah, all like every time they make a new casting announcement for this show, just oh. Josephine and I text each other it's excitedly. Just like, How can this get better? Yeah, it's literally the best cast I've ever seen. Ever. It's probably on right now. When's this it's episode going to be released? I saw it'll be tom- well. Uh, so we're recording yes. it on Sunday. It'll come out so tomorrow on a Monday. It'll be soon. It's like next week. So um, I saw a video yesterday of Jesse Mueller doing. Jesse Mueller is playing Adelaide, Miss Adelaide, Miss yeah. Adelaide um, doing Bushel on a Peck in oh. like a like a press call kind of thing. So it's definitely soon. Oh yeah, it's, it's yeah. the seventh, I think, which is, is soon. Yeah. Um, the cast is just if you haven't seen it, it's yeah. So Stephen Pasquale and Philippa Sue as um, Sky and Miss Sarah, Sarah Brown. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, Jesse Mueller as Adelaide. And um, oh gosh, I'm gonna let me just. Isn't it um? Name? 
It's the guy James who was Ramo, the, yeah James um, Iglehart. Yeah, yeah. So the he, original genie in Aladdin. Yeah, he will and, be Nathan Detroit, which yeah. is such great casting. Yeah, um, but also Rachel Dratch as. Um, Big Julie. I know. Which I love. Love. Um, Kevin Chamberlain's in it. Yes. Also, He's uh, nicely, nicely, I yes, think. Yes, and great. Oh, anyway, I'm just The so original Horton in Susicle, right? Yes. Am I right? Yes, you're correct. Yeah. Um, it's just going to be really, really special. I d- it looks amazing. It looks amazing. Um, I mean, we love Guys and Dolls. Yes, we do. It's such a good show. I think it gets lumped in with like... I'm going to just trash on some shows. I think it gets lumped in with things like Pajama Game and like How to mm. Succeed. And those are great shows, but Guys and Dolls is in another. It's such a good show. Such a good show. So, yes, that is exciting. Oh, I wish I was in New York right now. Well, no, it's in Washington. Oh, that's right. It's, it's not in, in New York. Of yeah. Course, it's, it's the, the Kennedy, Kennedy Center. Center. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I know. So, I'm oh, sure. To be in Washington, I'm sure yeah. a lot of people are making that pilgrimage from, um, oh, from New York. Yeah. 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 Um, Should we talk about Funny Girl as well? Yeah, so it is Leah Michelle has joined the cast. Rave reviews. Oh, I feel so conflicted. Okay, I've literally said it makes me quite mad, lol. <laughs> <laughs> I just like it's a tough one because obviously she can sing. Yeah. Um, and that's what most of the reviews are saying and that's what I feel like most people have shown up to Funny Girl wanting to hear the song sung. Yeah. Right? And well, that- it's like let's be honest, the show is not that strong. No. The show is the song. Yes. Those handful of great songs yes. that are in it. Yeah. And so obviously the whatever Beanie Feldstein was bringing to it was not satisfying the audiences enough. And some of the reviews have said like Leah Michelle doesn't have the sort of guilelessness or comedy genius that they thought Beanie Feldstein had. Yeah. But the singing, like her just singing of it really far yeah. outweighs that. Yeah. And so, okay, that's fine. I obviously don't like Leah Michelle. I have a huge – have you seen the costume drama that's – I know. They changed the costumes. They changed the Le- costumes. Leah Michelle's a twig and – But, like, I – okay, so Beanie Feldstein is a much larger body than Leah Michelle, so obviously they need different sizing costumes. Yeah. It doesn't need to be a whole different fucking style. Yeah. And, like, it is so blatant, that final red number. Yeah. You might have seen it on TikTok because there's a whole big thing about it, but, like, Beanie Feldstein's red dress at the end – has like a really high neck. And it's sleeves. very dowdy. There's no shape to the dress. Yeah. It's huge, big, billowy sleeves. It is like a shapeless sack. Yeah. Leah Michelle is in this tight fitting. It's not even that um, era appropriate. Tight fitting red glitter sleeveless number that is like, oh, that is not even. You could not even say that they're from the same show, yeah. these two dresses. I know. Ugh. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And I just, again, like, are we really rewarding yes. bullying? Like, are we, yes. like, we all know what happened. Yes. It's not, it's oh, just let's such give a, this person. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just, I feel very conflicted about it because I'm like, okay, yeah, she's talented. And uh, obviously she's talented. We yeah, all know that. That's fine, yeah. Um, Lots of dickheads are talented. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I just, I don't know. I Can feel. I just say something really... And we all know I'm a bad person, but like it makes me dislike Jonathan Groff a little bit that I, I know, know he's friends that with they're her. best friends. Yeah, and I just don't. I think I I thought you were better, Jonathan Groff. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And who? But the, but I guess you know what what has been made clear is that she's very nice to people. Yeah, what she sees as the same level as her, Ugh. right? It's it's the people that she sees below her as who she's rude to. Even some of her like she just sounds like a really oblivious, privileged person. But some yeah. of her comments about how she gushed to Beanie when like she's made all these comments where she's like when I first saw it I sent Beanie a a letter and I just loved her in it and she was so funny and and like why are you saying that like this person's obviously very hurt by what's happened like there's no way Beanie Feldstein isn't at home very sad I know um 
And yeah, anyway. I just, and also, it just feels like the producers have not treated Beanie very well. 100%. Like, it just seems. Shane and I were then talking because I was, I was sort of ranting about it on one of our walks. And he was like, how many times has this happened where someone like really famous and otherwise really talented has just not been right for a role? And that, it's totally fine. Yeah. Obviously, this role wasn't right for her. But we were talking about Patti Lapone in Sunset Boulevard. And then things like Eric Stoltz in Back to the Future mm. where like it would actually be really difficult if you've made it. You've gone through the auditions or you've made, you've gone to the inverted yeah. commas, you've made it. And then you get dumped. It's yeah. really, it would be so heartbreaking. So hard. Um, I, uh, I it, like kind of a segue. Mm. The Music Man cast recording is also out. Oh, I didn't um, know. I have no and interest. And yeah, like like uh, <laughs> about a week ago. Yeah, right. And um, speaking of people that aren't right for the role vocally, you know, and we we both yeah. love Sutton. We oh, both yeah. love. We are big Sutton fans in this room. She is not the right but she, voice. Like it should be Kelly O'Hara or yeah, like it needs like, to be a soprano. Yeah. And, and also, like, because I think about what she would bring to that role. She's a showgirl. Like, yeah. Sutton Foster's a showgirl. That character is the opposite of a showgirl. Yeah. Like, it's like Sergeant Sarah Brown. She's got to be exactly. quite. Uh, um, it's, so, it's I just, I, I mean, have a listen. It's like, I think it's like two hours long, the cast recording. Like, they've God recorded damn. the whole thing. I will say the orchestra sounds glorious. Great. So, like, all this, and there's quite a lot of instrumental stuff in that show. How does Hugh Jackman go? Fine. Yeah. I don't, I mean, look. Like, I don't know Music Man very well, so yeah. I'm probably not the right person to ask, but yeah. um, it's worth having a listen to anyway. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just think have a listen, yeah. but it is, uh, yeah, she, mm. I know from the limited knowledge I have of that show that she is not right for it. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, it's also announced its closing date. Yes, as, I saw that. As has Beetlejuice and, of course, the big one, Fan of the Opera. I, gosh, I couldn't believe when that. I know. I think about those poor people who've been working on that show for 35 so years. That's the end of their That job. will be the 35th anniversary that they close on yeah. by that week. I'm really glad though. <laughs> I love Phantom. We know yeah. that. But um, yeah, it is. it feels like the end of an era. Oh, it definitely does. Do we know why? Like what? Just I, I just done? think COVID um, ruined the – like I know that that show um, has had a huge foreign audience. Yeah. And the and tourist no numbers tourism, have yeah. just not returned yeah. yet. Yet, you know, I'm sure it will happen. It's so because anytime I talk to someone who goes to New York and isn't like a theatre person, and they say, "What should I see on Broadway?" I'll say some wonderful ideas, and what they'll inevitably see is a Phantom or, or Wicked. Wicked. Like or, that's what yeah. they'll see. Yeah. Um. So totally, Chicago. I totally get that they'll go and be like, "Oh, well, I know Phantom. I saw Anthony Waller in Phantom of the Opera. I'll, you know, that's a safe one to see." I also whatever. imagine that. In comparison, Wicked and Chicago and Lion King, which are kind of the other stalwarts uh, in the top ten, you know, longest-running shows, have all opened since the late 90s. Yeah. And – well, we know Chicago's run on a shoestring anyway. Yeah. Like it's the band's on stuck. You know, yeah. it's a concert version essentially. But Phantom would be so very expensive. expensive to run because it's thirty-five-year-old yeah. technologies yeah. and so yeah. yeah. I imagine it's just very expensive to run. It's not palatable for family either. Like you yeah. can't take a bunch of kids to see Phantom. Yeah. Even like how they used to do deals mm. back in 35 years ago probably means that yeah, a lot of people on. are getting a lot of money from it yeah. that they wouldn't otherwise they wouldn't now which is terrible to say but like yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of creatives 
earning good money that if they were remounting Phantom now, they wouldn't see anywhere near that amount yeah. of money. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So even a show like Phantom has to make some budget cuts. Oh, yeah. Yeah, wow. Um, um, what else have you got? I have got the Sweeney revival that's been announced. I did not know about oh, this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Are you having a microphone problem? Uh, maybe. What have okay. you done? No, I've fixed it now, I think. I don't think you have. Okay, you tell us about Sweeney. I'm going to come okay, and fix your microphone. Okay, so they've announced a Sweeney revival for like March – Next year, I think, it's um, Josh Groban and Annalie Ashford as Sweeney and Mrs. Lovett, but with like a 28-piece orchestra, something like that. Yeah, so it's crazy. Um, Joe Sweeney's just returning to her mic after. Annalie Ashford, really? Yeah, as Mrs. I don't Lovett. I like that casting. You don't like her. No, I don't. It's because she played my dream Because of Sunday role. in the Park, yeah. I love her. <laughs> yeah. And I thought she was a wonderful dot. She was really good in Masters of Sex. She was. She's yeah. really good in Kinky Boots. She's been good in a lot of things. Has she? Yeah. You just are judging her. Yes, I am. It's weird that I can like Bernadette Peters, who has my job but not Annalie Ashford. I'm one of those women who doesn't support women. You are. No, I say I'm that not. about I say that about you in public a lot. <laughs> um, can rap. Actual bitch though. Um one final piece of news. Ready. Jonathan Bailey. Oh Fiero, yeah. Fiero. Wicked Actually, film. I've got that mute that news in here. Wicked film. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so oh, also it's the Wicked Films, Ruth. Sorry, in fact, I have I actually had that <laughs> note. I mentioned John Chu later in our episode. Oh right, and I have Wicked Films. Yeah, films. I I wrote like seven S's as yeah. well because <laughs> fucking hell, they're doing multiple films. Yeah. Okay, so we know Jonathan Bailey is like a god among men. And Great you choice. Love him. I love I love him. So side note, my sister was like, "Should I watch Bridgerton?" I was like, "I don't know if you'll like it, but do whatever you want with your life." And I really have a crush on the guy who plays Anthony Bridgerton, Jonathan Bailey. And so she started watching it and she was like, lol at you, this is just your husband. Like, ah! And so I was like, oh, I don't see that. And she said, no, he is like, he is Shane. I'm like, Hilarious. oh, well, that makes sense. So it's nice to know that even when I crush on other people, they're just other They're just your husband. Shane. That's <laughs> no. so funny. She said it was very cute. But he has been announced as Fiero and I don't hate it. Like It's good casting, I think. Great I, casting. So far, I'm pretty happy with the casting. I'm just so pumped to see Cynthia Revo, like, right. who I just adore. And yeah. it's such a good choice. So obviously, you've mentioned this. They're too old, but. If you're going to have Cynthia Erivo as Elphaba, then Jonathan Bailey is a that's perfect true. That they're about they're probably what both in their early 30s, yeah, something like that's that. That's great. Yeah, awesome, love it. I'm pumped. Yeah, except that I hate Wicked and I don't want to watch it. I, I did think <laughs> it was funny that a lot of people um were like, oh, just because he's on Bridgerton, it's like um no, the, the dude has an Olivier Award. Yeah, like shut up. He, um, I saw him as oh, I've seen him twice. Both characters called Jamie, might yes, I add. I so I saw him in the last five years uh, revival, I guess you'd say, on the West End that Jason Robert Brown directed. Yeah, yeah. Um, which unfortunately, I think he was a bit sick yeah. and he was not great if vocally. Because there are videos of him doing it and he's amazing yeah, as Jamie. Um, yeah. He's got the right young energy. Yes. I think he, his acting was good. It yeah. was just, but I could also tell on his face that he was upset when there were certain notes that weren't yeah. coming out. Okay. So it, acting wasn't that great then. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> um, but he was also in the company revival. Yes. As Jamie, yeah. which was Amy in the original. Yeah. The um, getting married today person. In getting, getting married today. Getting married today, and he won an Olivier for it, just as Matt Doyle won the Olivier, won the Tony in New York for the yes. same show. Well, it's a hard, it's song. a scene stealer, that's um, for sure. And he was incredible. Yeah, he's great. And like, 
Okay, so Bridgerton's been a huge success and like that's probably why he's been able to be cast. Yeah. He's perfect for it. He has all of the qualities and talents that you need. He's just got the profile now to actually back up yeah, the casting. Exactly. That's all it is. It doesn't mean that Bridgerton is responsible for this. No. Like it, he's talented. He's a talented and person. And he's been on a soap, I think. Yeah. Over there. I'm he pretty sure. He was on sure. Broadchurch. And, and he was on Broadchurch. Yeah, we were talking about that the other day. Yeah, he's got a profile. Yeah, definitely. Um, did you see on that note of him playing two Jamies, you might have posted it was a meme that was like Sarah Bareilles and Brian Darcy yes. James have both played. So Sarah Bareilles has played a character who cheats on her husband in two musicals. And yeah. Brian Darcy James has played a husband who doesn't believe in the talents of his yes. far, in far superior wife yeah. twice. Yeah. Which is just great because they are obviously the baker and the baker's wife. Yeah. I thought woods. that was great. Classic. Yeah. Typecast much. Should we talk about a show? Uh, or do you have more news? No. Oh, wait. Yes, I do. There's actually some footage of the 1776 revival. I out. haven't watched it yet. Okay. It looks excellent. Okay, cool. So this is the, like, it's fully female and gender diverse, I think. Yes. Yeah. The, yeah. So it looks really good. Um, the uh, roundabout are doing it. Yeah. Roundabout. Also, if you might see some footage of Stephanie J. Block as the baker's wife at the moment, that's yes. out and about. She looks sensational. As sensational. The wife. Yeah. And she belts the end yes. of, um, uh, oh my God, I'm forgetting what that actually, but she see the justifies the beans. The justifies the beans. The beans. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what it's, you know how like there's so many songs yes, in that show that I'm it? like, maybe they're magic? Is it maybe they're magic? Yeah, maybe they're magic. Yeah. 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 God. Uh, and she, and, and also, a lot of people are saying, because of course, Stephanie J. Bock was one of the, well, technically she was the original Alpha Bar. Yeah, she was. Uh, and, uh, but then not, not she on wasn't. Broadway. Yeah, she was Patty LaPone. Um, yes, that's right. Uh, she did all the workshops and everything. She but was Beanie Feldstein. They, yeah, no, well. <laughs> no, fine. Um, but uh, someone has made a shirt that says, just defy the beans with Aww. a with a broom because that's kind of what she's like she is somewhat a bit of yes. a tip of the hat to wicked yes with with the way that she delivers justifies Aww. the veins that's cute yeah wow people are really full on hey yeah, yeah like me you're full on yeah, yeah i would say that i'm I that, say that sort of you. nerd <laughs> all right so we're talking about beauty and the beast beauty and the beast as i was driving down here i was like oh we haven't really discussed that we're doing beauty and the beast we had one conversation yep and I thought, God, I hope we are doing Beauty and the Beast. I <laughs> imagine if we'd researched two separate shows. I want that to It would just once. be like an old episode. <laughs> just, that's right. Except, Except I would be like, I only know the plot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I wouldn't know the plot at no, all no. of whatever we were doing. Oh, God. Um, anyway, it's Beauty and the Beast. What's your relationship with this show? Okay. So, like, for such a beloved film, like, I love the movie, Um. It was such a childhood delight of mine. Absolutely. Uh, I feel very underwhelmed by this musical. Mm. I always have. I've never really enjoyed it. I've seen it on stage quite a few times. Like I think um, – Have you seen a – did you see that professional? No. no. The okay. Rachel Beck one? Yeah. No. I don't think I was in New South Wales for that. Yeah. Um, I would have been very young. So How could they have messed up so thoroughly with this music? Is my sort of mm. – like how did they How did they miss the mark so badly? Um yeah, like I've seen, so I think I've seen it probably amateur and stage productions like a few times. So obviously, maybe they're bad productions. They've never been great, but I'm actually pretty certain that a pro production would also be a mess. I'm so very keen to see it when it comes next year. Did I tell you I had an audition for Bell? Yeah. Which is incorrect because I'm 33. <laughs> So obviously that didn't go anywhere, but like, oh, wow, we're doing Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Ugh. But I have to say that my. 
So I'm a bit the same. Like I love the score of the film. Yes. But literally, like I said this to Josephine the other day, I don't think I had ever listened to the original Broadway cast recording until we said we were doing this. And it's not pleasant. Why would you listen? It's not a pleasant listen. But I do love the score. Like Alan Menken. Like, you know, I'm a big... Ashman, Alan Menken. Exactly. Like like a huge fan of the score. They're geniuses. Geniuses, right? But this... Somehow in the translation of this into a stage musical, something evil happened. But I guess like I'm a bit the same with Aladdin. Yes. Like we haven't covered Aladdin on the podcast, have we? Haven't. We? we haven't. But like I love that film. What I would say though is that Aladdin Jr. is actually really successful. Like as as a piece of theatre that is The good. old version. Yes. It is a good piece of theatre. Yeah. I think. The, as in the one that we did or the one that exists now? The one that we did. So um, for those who don't know, like um, – Oh, except that it didn't have Proud of Your Boy. No, yes, it did. But, oh, yeah. But Jasmine sang it That's, random. Yeah, Who knows okay. why? Um, but uh, so Josephine and I worked on a production of Aladdin in 2008 yes. of Aladdin Jr. So this was before the stage version of Aladdin existed. Yeah. And so the storyline was quite different to the, the version. Well, no, but also to the ver- the stage version. Yes, to what eventually became the That's musical. That's right. Because yeah. the stage version took these like three friends, Babcack and yeah. those characters, and made them a device in yeah. the show. And then now Aladdin Jr., if you license it, so like our local theatre just did it again recently. It's a mini version. It's a of mini version of the stage version. Yeah. It's got nothing to do with the version we did in 2008. But like I think that version that we did was really good theatre. Like that, yeah. is, that is a successful movie to stage. Mm, I interesting. Think. But I don't – The I script done was pretty the bad. But well, the, yeah, but like they but the, are. I mean we got to do the songs We got good to do the and, songs yeah. and it's like it doesn't – it's not a – it's not a huge ask in terms of theatre magic. And I think Beauty and the Beast is maybe a bit of an ask for right. theatre magic. Maybe that's like the Like the suspension of disbelief. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I have only ever seen it once on stage. It was the amateur production that our local theatre did in the early two mid-2000s. Yeah, something say. around yeah, there. Yeah. Um, I've, never really, I've never seen it professionally, but I also realised that I've never really had the opportunity to see it professionally. Yeah. Because well, this, was it, it in the 90s? 95 that? was the Australian professional yeah. production. So, like, I was eight. Yeah. And yeah, I was living in Brisbane. Yeah. Like, it's not, it's not, and I wasn't sort of going to the theater enough then at that age that my parents would have taken me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, no. it's not. No. Um, and so, like, I was kind of thinking about, like, my whole kind of musical theater coming of age happened in sort of a Beauty and the Beastless world, yeah. if you know what I mean. I think um, Shane saw it actually, that production. Probably. Yeah, he would have. Um, but I will say one thing I very much enjoyed researching is kind of the show's place in Broadway mm. history. Because it is like in a way that is unexpected, it has made history. It's a Broadway. real landmark production, yeah. I think, like in a way that – you wouldn't have realised maybe in the several years after yes. it happened. Yep. But now in 2022, looking back, I'm like, oh, it changed Broadway. Yeah. We talked about this a little bit when we did The Little Mermaid. Yeah. Because it was, it was, such, a, it was such a big move for, for Disney theatrical. Like, yeah. It was such a huge shift. Yeah. Um, and it was really And Lion King, when we did Lion King as well. Yeah. So when we talked about those, this, yeah. was, this was a musical that paved the way for those things. That's happen. right. Like it was the, I wouldn't say it's um, necessarily a 100% positive turning point for no. Broadway. But – I just it's a change. It is a definite change. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I've enjoyed a bit more that of a aspect of the shift. A bit more of a, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, just a little less. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So tell I was me the going, story. I was going to write out the plot. Yeah. And then I was like, everyone, everyone knows the plot. So I'm going to do it by memory. But basically, everyone knows the plot of Beauty and the Beast, and the musical is incredibly same mm. as the movie. Like, mm. it, there's apart from like a little more character development of Belle and the character of the Beast, they get a few extra songs each. 
Belle's father also gets to sing. Everything else is basically the same. So um, we open Like it's on quite a faithful adaptation in that sense, Incredibly right? faithful. Yeah. There's no like extra characters added. There's no like extra drama. It's all the same level of drama. It's just heightened yeah. and a bit more character development from some people. So I will tell you about it from memory. Just chime in if you have any issues. Will do. So we start with um, an enchantress visits a castle and a young man opens the door um, and the enchantress is like an old woman and she wants to like, it's like cold and windy and she wants to like have a place to stay. It's like Jesus at the inn. Um, <laughs> not Jesus yet. Jesus was not born yet. Oh my gosh. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, the prince who's like selfish and whatever, also like a child, maybe I'll talk about that later, <laughs> says, no, I don't want you to come in because you're old and ugly. And then she turns into like a beautiful witch and curses him and the whole household, which is apparently just him and his yes. servants. <laughs> we'll get into that later as well. Curses him to live like a very sad existence if he can't learn to like be a loving person. So she basically turns him into a beast and all of the, all of his servants into like objects and gives him a rose, an enchanted rose that will start to wither and die on his 21st birthday and when the final petal falls he's cursed to be like this forever the the spell will not break um that is our prologue then we skip to uh about 1756 in france (laughs) somewhere in france so how long is he stuck before 10 years Ruth. okay so if that is the case, he was 11 when this happened. Yeah. So an 11-year-old opens the door at night to a, an old woman <laughs> and refuses to let her in and she's like, fuck you and I'm going to turn you and all of your friends yeah. into – Yeah. So there's problems there for sure. Also, like what 11-year-old is not a bit of a dick? I know. And should we not be encouraging our children to not let people into their homes? Absolutely. Anyway, it's fine. So, yeah, he the beast is uh, at the beginning of the story is about 20, towards the end of his 20s. Yeah. Um, so we open on in France. It's like provincial France. It's the 1700s. So obviously like a bit of turmoil in terms of France, in French history. Like yeah. we're talking like some, some yeah. revolutionary times, right? Um, so there's lots of shit going on. Anyway, Belle is this like 16, 17-year-old girl who lives with her father. We don't know what has happened to her mother. Like we don't. No. She's obviously been long dead. Her father is a bit of an oddball, an inventor, and Belle lives in this very provincial, like... Um, Crazy old Maurice. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Crazy old Maurice. Oh, yeah, they're American. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to say that. Anyway, um, so, yeah, weird Maurice is an inventor, as his daughter is Belle. Maurice is... Is that a very French name? I think so. Okay. Very French. <laughs> so Belle lives in this town and the townsfolk hate her. Like they, yeah. they accept that she's quite beautiful. Also that she's probably a child. She's 16. Um, she's just very odd. Like she doesn't talk to people. She reads books. Um, and she thinks that they are quite backwards as well. Like they are small-minded people, um, which is probably true. Like they seem to be quite a, an alarmist group of people. Like they're not necessarily smart. But they're also like they're living in 1756 in France what access to education do they really have? They're just living their simple lives. Anyway, Belle is being pursued by this guy, Gaston, who is about 25. So he's like 25 pursuing the 16-year-old. He's an incredibly problematic character. He's just like very masculine, like toxic masculine. Yeah. Um, pursuing Belle, not really taking no for an answer because obviously she's like a bit different, a bit standoffish, and he likes that. He likes a bit of a chase. Um 
Belle wants to travel. Like she wants an adventure. She wants to get out of this town. She loves to read. So she's obviously like moderately intelligent. So she wants to get out. Gaston just wants to marry her and have like seven children. Um, (laughs) Just so many children. Anyway, Maurice, the inventor, wants to go off with one of his inventions to some like expo. Um, So he off he trots with his invention and leaves Belle and – and like something befalls Maurice. It's it's like a, a bad storm or a, the horse gets spooked or something and he like he disappears and the horse comes back to Belle and she realizes something has happened to Maurice. Yeah. So she gets on the horse and like goes to find him and the horse leads her to this castle in the middle of the woods. And the castle is the beast's castle. So she goes in, it's nighttime because of course it is, and realizes that the, this beast has Maurice as a prisoner. And so she offers herself as a trade um, if Maurice can go free because obviously he's got a lot of life to live and he's a man and all of that stuff. <laughs> she will stay in the castle um, and be the beast prisoner if her father can go. And, like, the father agrees. I don't know. <laughs> no, he doesn't. Like, he puts up a bit of a fight. Yeah. The beast is like, great, I love that trade, let's go. Um, and, yeah, the beast is like this terrifying I, I didn't actually write it down, but it's like a conglomerate of like 10 animals apparently. Oh, really? Where he's like horse and lion and Wolf bear. and, like, and Yeah, he's yeah. all of like, yeah. Someone has written somewhere. It must have come from the original fairy tale what he actually is, but yeah. So she also she's now the prisoner, and and Belle starts to realize that there's something wrong about this castle. Like the the servants are all items or like objects around the house. So there's Cogsworth, the the clock guy, and there's Lumiere, who was he's like a candlestick. And these are obviously like the butler and the main like valet or the um, footman or something. Yeah. And then, like, there's an opera singer who's turned into a wardrobe and there's Mrs. Potts, the housekeeper, is now, like, a giant teapot. It's all very strange. And you would think, like, in 1756, you would just be a bit like, what? What is happening? Anyway, so the Beast doesn't keep Belle in a prison. He, like, lets her have a room and it seems quite civilised, but he's a little bit standoffish and aggressive, like he has mad anger problems. Yeah. And all of the servants seem to be very keen on Belle staying and, like, very they're very motivated by something and we find out that there's a curse the beast has been cursed and that he needs to like fall in love or have someone fall in love with him before the final petal falls and that the curse will be broken i'm just going into way a lot of detail and it's like right here in my head which yeah. is why is it it's just quite amazing there? that you have this level it's, of detail i yeah whoa okay so i didn't think i would go into this much anyway um, they start to sort of tentatively form a bond and she like reads to him and they have dinners together and she like doesn't like him. She definitely thinks he's a bit of a, like he's very angry. She doesn't seem to care about his physical appearance. Um, so she must like animals, I, I suppose. Um, <laughs> and he is like a grudgingly, you know, like appreciating her presence. We don't really see that he might be attracted to her, although she's beautiful and very young. So maybe. Um, but the servants are so keen on her. Like they want to make her stay awesome and just like get keep her there. Um, so they give him advice on how to like woo her and it's all with the motivation of her being the reason why the curse will be broken. Um, eventually she figures out, I think it's through like a mirror or something. Yeah, he gives her a mirror that she can see what's happening to her loved one. So she sees her father is in a bit of strife um, and so she like goes, the beast lets her leave to f- to like help him. Yeah. And he's really sad because they've sort of fallen in love a little bit, I think. He's really sad. Meanwhile, Gaston is like very shitty that Belle has gone and has like 
revved up a bit of a panic in the town by these idiot townspeople. A He's mob, just, if yeah, you will. it's a mob. It's like it's torches and pitchforks and all of that um, to go kill this awful beast because he's terrible and he's like holding Belle against her will and all this stuff. And so they they develop a mob and Belle realizes that. Oh, I think like Chip, the little boy, teacup, stows away and like convinces That's Belle right. that she should come back because they are desperate for Belle to break this. Like, who cares about what Belle wants? Yeah. Break the curse, come back to the thing. She goes back to try and save the beast from the mob and the petal is about to fall. Like, we've got one petal. It's like, it's almost his birthday. No one mentions that it's his birthday. No. Which is a bit sad. Anyway, um, there's a big fight. It's raining. It's nighttime. The mob comes, but like, in the end, the mob seem to like get a bit worn off and they, I don't know, they don't keep fighting, but Gaston maintains the fight. And he and the beast are like hand-to-hand combating. And somehow Gaston really does hold his own against this like 10-foot wolfman guy. Yeah. So like go Gaston. Also Gaston's a bit older, so that might help. Yeah. Anyway, eventually the beast wins and then he's starting to like die because of the petal. The petal falls and Belle then decides that she loves him. So she says that while she's crying and then magic happens like – the curse is lifted. The beast turns into a very handsome 21-year-old man, Prince Adam. And Belle is like, what? You're handsome. What? <laughs> and they are like happily ev- – yeah, everyone lives happily ever after and all of the servants get turned back into people and that's that. And like he's 21 and she's 16 still and that's that. Yeah. That's the end of the show. <laughs> What did you think about that retelling? I loved it. Did I miss anything? No, I think you got it all. Oh, thank you. I loved it. There's some singing in there. Oh, yeah. There's like fabulous oldest time. I was reminded of one of my favorite tweets, which is by Dana Schwartz, who we both love. We love her. Where it says, Belle, there goes the baker with his tray like always. Baker, well, there goes Belle singing her daily mean song about (laughs) us. It's so true. It's like, so true. They're very mean to each other. Belle yeah. is really dismissive of the townsfolk as a general. Like she really lumps them in yeah. to one. Like she likes the bookseller. Her poor provincial town. Yeah, and she's really, really dismissive of them. But they are also very small-minded for yeah, sure. Exactly. So I think there's fault on both sides. So it is a Disney stage musical with music by Alan Menken, lyrics by Howard Ashman and Tim Rice, and a book by Linda Wolverton. Um, it's adapted by the Walt Disney Pictures Academy Award winning 1991 animated musical film of the same name, mm-hmm. uh, which in turn had been based upon the classic French fairy tale by Jean-Marie Le Prince de Beaumont. Mm. Um, we've talked about Alan Menken, Howard Ashman and Tim Rice many times on this podcast, but they truly are like the peak of what they do. Yeah. Um, it's also always worth mentioning that Howard Ashman was taken from us far too young by AIDS mm. and could have created so much more. Um, I don't know if I said it here, but watch the Howard documentary. It's on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. It's beautiful. You'll I think cry. you said that in like Little Shop. You said it in a I, ton. I of, say yeah. it every time. It's yeah, beautiful. Yeah. But he just – he really was such a special person. Yeah. Uh, Linda Wolverton also wrote the Disney film. Yes. Um, she was the first woman to ever write an animated feature – which just seems absurd, but also not surprising. Well, like, not the first woman to write one, right? The first one to have one made? I, I guess that's that true. But then I guess, like, animation was probably such a time that – well, yeah. yeah, you're right. Probably there were people that wrote one. But, yes, she was the first person to ever write a released animated wow. feature. Um, she also co-wrote the screenplay for The Lion King, mm-hmm. as well as more recently writing the Tim Burton Alice in Wonderland and – 
Maleficent. Oh, yeah. Uh, and also their respective sequels. Uh, the former made her the first female screenwriter with a sole writing credit on a film that grossed $1 billion. Whoa. Uh, it is also worth mentioning that she wrote the book for Aida, of the stage musical of Aida, and also the musical Lestat, which mm. was a, a, a big Broadway flop. Um, mm. Both had music by Elton John and um, Lestat was Elton John and Bernie Taupin. Um, I forget about Lestat. Yeah. It had, it had a real cult uh, yeah. audience. Yeah. Um, People love vampires. F- for a bit of background about the film um, that the show is based on, um, I highly recommend the documentary Waking Sleeping Beauty. I think it would... Oh, it's no. on Disney Plus, isn't it? Well, oh, it's not made by Disney, so I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's all about this period known as the Disney Renaissance. Um, Which we've talked about. Yeah. Essentially, uh, Little Mermaid was their first massive animated musical hit in years, and Beauty and the Beast came straight after it. So, Little Mermaid was 1989, and, and this was 1991. Oh, that- Waking Sleeping Beauty is distributed by Walt Disney. Oh, okay, good. Okay, I didn't think they'd made it, but yeah, they must have sort of embraced it a bit. They must have made it then, yeah. Yeah, they did. It's filmed. Okay, great. Yeah, directed by a Disney film producer. Okay, great. Anyway, it's a really good doco. Um, When the film was released, New York Times theatre critic Frank Rich lamented the Broadway offerings at the time and said the film had the best Broadway musical score of 1991. So it was obviously like, people were like, yeah, like, these people should be writing musical theatre. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, and they are correct. Yes. So it premiered in a joint production of Theatre Under the Stars and Disney Theatrical at the Music Hall in Houston, Texas in uh, November 1993, uh, ran for a month there. It then premiered on Broadway at the Palace Theatre on April 18th, 1994. Uh, the show then transferred to the Lunt Fontaine Theatre on November 11th, 1999 and ran there until it closed on July 29th, 2007. So in yeah, total, wow. Beauty and the Beast ran on Broadway for 5,461 performances for 13 years. Was it the, is it the 10th longest yeah. running? Yeah, I have that note somewhere. Wow. Which is kind of, ins- again, it's insane. like when I said that I sort of came a, of age music music you know in musical yeah. theater uh too late for this show that's what i mean like my first trip to new york was in late 2007 so i never yeah. even had the opportunity to see it you know yeah. um so yeah like it's just not something we were probably very aware of which is so interesting because like we loved a chorus line yeah we, you know like all of those things that it's just it's weirdly been sort of well, I just think it wasn't very popular. Like, apart from obviously lots of people saw it. It yeah. wasn't like a, a beloved musical. No. no one was like, Beauty and the Beast is my favourite musical. And we've sort of had the same, like, when we covered Mary Poppins a mm. few episodes ago, I sort of felt the same yeah. about that. It's like, it's like people, I don't know, people have soft spots for the films because they're, yeah. they grow up like watching them or whatever. But and, I don't yeah. think you can feel the same way about the musical because no. they don't have the same heart as a lot of musicals do. Yes, I agree with yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, so it was nominated for nine Tony Awards. It won only one, <laughs> which I'm sure was quite pointed at the time. <laughs> uh, it won Best Costume Design. Yeah. I'm sure very well deserved. Yeah. Uh, the nominees that year for Best Musical were A Grand Night for Singing, hmm. Cyrano the Musical, mm. Be- uh, Beauty and the Beast, and Passion, which won. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because a lot of people feel that Sondheim's, so that's by Stephen Sondheim, yeah. Passion, is essentially his version of the Beauty and the Beast story, <laughs> which like if you think about, yeah, like yeah. the um, story of it, it is quite similar. We haven't done Passion yet. We haven't. No, we should do that. Well, I think it's our, would it be our last? No, apart from like. Um, we haven't done like Pacific Overtures. No, we haven't done Pacific Overtures. It's probably one of the biggest Sondheim ones that we haven't done Yes, though. I would agree. Yeah, mm. we should do it soon. Okay. Um, 
The West End production opened at London's Dominion Theatre on April 29th, 1997 and ended in December 1999. Yeah. So that not surprised me. Yeah, not very long considering the success on Broadway. It did win the Olivier Award for Best New Musical though. Yeah. Um, in 2019, Disney announced that they'd be bringing it back to Broadway for a 25th anniversary production. I am guessing that COVID scuppered those plans, um, but that that turned into the UK tour that that also had a short run in London earlier this year Um, because, yeah, it sort of has showed no signs of returning to New York since then. Uh, That production that has been in the UK, though, is also the one that is coming here to Australia next year. It's due to open in Sydney in June 2023. Not starring me, so, like, don't Don't go. Boycott. And the producers will be like, I'm sorry, who? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the show has played o- all over the world um, in many different language adaptations and everything. But I just wanted to mention the Japanese production, which ran from 1995 to 2017. Another one of those epic yes. Japanese productions. Love it. Uh, and there was, of course, also the live action film adaptation released in 2017, mm. which starred Emma Watson as Belle and a bunch of other very famous people. But I haven't seen it and I can't comment on it. Really? I haven't seen it. Yeah. Why haven't you seen I it? I haven't seen a lot of those live action Disney ones. It was not terrible. Really? Cinderella was a much better. I haven't mm. seen that either. It was good. Like I would say the Cinderella was good. Um, Beauty and the Beast was fine. I haven't seen The Lion King. They've no, done heaps, right? I haven't seen, right? I haven't I haven't seen, seen Aladdin. I have seen Aladdin randomly. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. Um, this one was fine. It was also announced earlier this year that to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the film, I guess, yeah, mm. um, that ABC uh, would be doing a live version of the musical. It's in the States. So John M. Chu, who is directing the Wicked Films, <laughs> and he also directed In the Heights, is directing it. Yeah. And uh, Josh Groban is playing the Beast. Um, Incorrect. <laughs> you, I hate him. Yeah. I'm so sorry, Josh Groban. I, I don't like know him. You. Your voice is really insipid. <laughs> <laughs> um, H.E.R., the musician, her. Yeah. Uh, she's playing Belle. Nice. And um, Josh Henry, who we talked about earlier, oh. is playing Gaston. Excellent casting. And Rita Moreno is the narrator. Oh, what yeah. narrator? Well, I guess they do the prologue. Yeah. That's right, it though, right? That's and there's an epilogue, is there or no? no Just I don't a prologue. Think so. Who knows? Oh, we love an additional narrator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's the history of it. So it's like not that long, considering it's the tenth longest running Broadway show of all time. And like, not much to you're like, there's not much there. You know? Yeah. A- not, apart from obviously content, um, it's just like, oh yeah. Uh, there's been a ton of tours, you know, like heaps but of even, US tours. Yeah, yeah, you're right. There has, um, but. <laughs> I don't know. It's um, at the time of it opening on Broadway, it had a budget of more than twelve million. It was the most costly Broadway musical of all time at the God. time, which is also kind of weird to think about. When now, if you said I could do a Broadway musical for twelve million people, would be like, "That's a bargain." Yes, yeah, and that's like just not that long ago, really, comparatively. No. But yeah, it's interesting because I think. I think it's got such a good name and I just don't think anyone would want to see it. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't even feel like the one in Sydney is going to do particularly well. Interesting. Yeah, I just have a hunch. Interesting. Mm, not that I'm any t- type of theatre soothsayer, but. I know. wonder though, what I probably think they're probably banking on a bit is that like, so like people our age, yeah. it is a film that we loved as children. Yeah. They can now take their kids. That I will is, not. I'm sure they will be banking on that. Yeah, it's probably yeah. true. Yeah. But. I don't know. I don't really have space for this story, <laughs> like you know, culturally, socially. Um, do you have any fun facts? 
Is the plot problematic? <laughs> Shall we discuss? Okay. Okay, so I think yes. Like, But like every single Disney like classic story, it's problematic. So it's not yeah. It's not like this is me being um, PC police or whatever. God, I hate that. We, I think we should start with Gaston. Okay. Who is obviously like an incredibly problematic person who's probably an abuser. Like there's certainly, he's certainly like a serious misogynist and a man who has no concept of consent. So like a ton of red flags there. And apparently, like I've mentioned, he's around 25 while Belle is 16 or 17. Um, it's just like an interesting world Belle inhabits where every man treats her like a piece of shit, like yeah. sort of including her father, yeah, I would say. Yeah. And that is obviously indicative of the time and obviously just the plight of women generally even now. Um, and I've mentioned that the townspeople are obviously not very great, very small-minded and that like being prone to panics, like Gaston can really whip them up into yeah. quite a significant panic, which is just not great. But also, yeah, like lack of education, I suppose, and like being afraid of things. Yeah. That's pretty typical of people. Um also, Belle has literally no agency throughout the entirety no. of the story. So she sings at the very beginning about wanting an adventure in the world, like travel, um, which is literally never explored again in the story. <laughs> yeah, like so she becomes a captive in the Beast Castle and it's just like that, that is it. Like she just never ever gets yeah. to have a thought of like going anywhere or doing anything. Um, and even like the nice characters, so the enchanted staff who we like, you know, like Lumiere and, and um, what's his name, Cogsworth. Yeah. He's so British. It's so weird. They only give a shit about Belle in so far as she can break the curse. Like they have no interest in, in her, her and what she wants. Yeah. Um, just like it's really blatant. Once you see that, you're like, oh, yeah, like no one cares a fuck about what she wants. Yeah. Um, like her needs, her safety, her wants, just not a blip on anyone's radar at all. Um, of course, like the Beast is a villain too. But apart from like obvious anger issues, I would say, and his kidnapping of Belle, it does seem a little bit rough that he was cursed by a random witch when he was 11. <laughs> like Let's for give not, him that. For not letting her into his house at night. Yeah. And also, like, where, why was he answering the door? And where did his parents go? Where were his parents? Did he just have a castle, like an 11-year-old? And, like, if he has all these servants, they should have been answering the door. What is he prince of, of? Yeah, what is he prince of? So if he is a prince, that means his parents are still alive. Like he's not a king. True. So he still has parents. <laughs> like what, where were they? They're not cursed. Like they're li- just they just blew my mind castle. a little bit. Um, and because of the twenty one thing, I even thought this when I watched it when I was a kid. I was like, but wait, if he's if it's been ten years and he's he's about to turn twenty one, like he was a child. Such yeah. a young child. And like I've mentioned, we cannot expect young children to be perfect people. 11-year-olds are fuckwits. And yeah, like, okay, so the, the old woman said he was shallow and mean. Well, like, yes, have you met children? Yeah. A lot of them are quite mean. Um, so, yeah, he didn't have a good personality, but just give him a bit of grace. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. I feel like the Beast is probably the most sympathetic in that. Like, he's had a very rough time. Um, there is also a bit of rhetoric around Beauty and the Beast that it's an example of Stockholm Syndrome. Mm, that's right. Um, which is not quite right. No. So some people argue that the Beast actually exhibits signs of, of Lima Syndrome, mm. um, which is like the opposite of Stockholm Syndrome, which is like where the captor develops tender or positive feelings about their like victim. Oh, interesting. Which is much more what is – because Belle is not ever like on his side or like – she particularly sort of wants to leave and does leave. Like yeah. she doesn't choose to stay. Like she does come back and stuff, but that's sort of for other reasons. So not that either of these things are true of this story because also like both of these syndromes were named after the original story was written. So yes. like they didn't exist. No, that's it's right. It's not like, yeah, I don't think, 
that is a thing. I just think fundamentally it's a pretty typical story about women um, just not knowing what they want and having the capacity to choose. Like it's very much that assumption that women just need a man. Yeah. And they don't really like – she wants to travel and adventure but like obviously like well, she's a woman. She doesn't really know. Like she just needs Especially to Especially when she's a, a princess. Yeah, well, that's it. Like She won't need to do that anymore. Who wouldn't choose to live in – like it's in the middle – this castle is in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Like, there's no infrastructure there. It's so – anyway, so great songs though. <laughs> um, I have a few fun facts. Yeah, do let's you have do any? It. I've got a few. Um, the original production, they closed it to make way for the live live stage version of The Little Mermaid. Um, at the time, they Disney believed that having two Disney princess films on Broadway at the same time would divide audiences and cause competition between the shows. Interesting. Um, so at this point, they also had three other shows running at the same time. They had Lion King, Tarzan and Mary Poppins, but they felt that, yeah, two this Disney like, princess musicals was not the way to go. I don't know. I feel... And then Little Mermaid was a massive flop. I feel like that is, yeah, wrong. Mm. Poor Little Mermaid. Yeah. Um. So Lumiere's hands in the original production are made of this flame-proof plastic surrounding a flame device that uses one ounce of liquid butane per hand per show. Um, so, you know, Lumiere wow. is like, he's a candlestick. Yeah. So in the first 10 years of the Broadway run, the show burned 700 pounds of butane. Jesus. <laughs> Which is also just like, that can't be great inside. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Um, we should briefly mention that that 1995 Australian production that had starred Rachel Beck as yeah. Belle starred a young Hugh Jackman as Gaston. Yes. It's Which important. is so, yeah, it's so important. In fact, I was having a conversation with uh, a friend the other day who was saying that, um, there was like a, a meme that I tweeted that was like uh, the Hugh Jackman one. Yeah, but well yeah. it was like stop trying to make him be Wolverine yeah. and um and let him just sing his sing little his songs. Sing his little songs. I know. And, uh, like and we need to get this like, man out of the gym. And someone was like, "Oh, I don't know. I don't really like the way he, you know, sings whatever." And I was like, "It's not that he can't perform. Yeah, he's great. It's that." Let's let's us decide what roles he gets to play. Like, I think he would have been a fucking great Gaston. Great choice. Um, in the he same way that he was a great Curly yeah. in Oklahoma. Yeah. And yeah. he would just never get to play those no, roles anymore. No, yeah. like, uh, yeah, that. I mean, I, I guess he's aged out of it a bit now too. But um, even I now, it, I think it would make more sense if Gaston was creepily old, like really that's obviously true. creepy. Li- yeah, yeah. Uh, like a laser wolf. Yes, <laughs> a laser. Wo- oh my god! I made a fiddler reference for you. Let's get Topol in to play Gaston. That's it. Um, okay, so the original ball gown that Belle wore in the Broadway production weighed thirty pounds. Oh, that's too heavy. Too heavy. It reminds me of that. The dress that was worn by um, uh, God, what's her name? Deborah Kerr in King and I. In King and I, yeah, yeah. Like those enormous heavy. dresses. I think yeah. Kelly O'Hara's was really heavy as well. Yes, yeah. Mm. Um, the original animated film was the first animated film to be nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars, mm. and it was also the first animated film to win the Golden Globe for Best Motion Picture Musical or Comedy. Yeah. Um, and at the 64th Academy Awards, it won the Academy Award for Best Originals score and best original song for its title song uh and it also received additional nominations for best original song and best sound yeah, yeah. wow um i think something i just said contradicted myself but anyway oh well <laughs> 
Let's let them figure it out. Yeah. So the song, A Change in Me. Oh, that was my next thing. Oh, sorry. Well, so this is a personal favourite of mine. This is my like signature audition song. I'm probably too old for it now, actually. It was added to the Broadway show when um, when Tony Braxton I did the not cast know as, that as until Belle. researching this. Yes. Yeah. I love that. Imagine be having the power of like commanding a brand new song. Yeah. Yeah. Unlike Anthony Warlow in um, what's his name? Yeah, Annie. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't get a new song. And it's so it's been in ever since. Yes. This song. Yeah. And um, uh, it's it's notable. So basically, the idea for the song came because she was in negotiations with Disney to join the cast. Yeah. And she was kind of like, eh. Basically, like, she's just, like, delaying. Give me more, please. Yeah, delaying signing the contract. And it wasn't until – so she had dinner with Alan Menken Tim R- and Tim Rice and – that she finally agreed to sign the contract under the condition that a brand new song be written specifically for her, which basically a drunk Tim Rice had offered her, like, <laughs> at this dinner. I love that. And, like, I don't think it was something yeah. that they were planning to do. Let's put it that. that way. It's a great song. Yeah. Because I think Home is incredible. So there's Belle and the Beast have a couple of extra songs. I'll talk about the music in a bit. But Home is a great song that happens sort of early in in her in the piece, yeah, and a change in me is a really nice like. Well, yeah, apparently, like Tim Rice in like interviews since has been like actually like yeah, it's really appropriate it's for really the show. Appropriate, yeah. yeah, and um, for if anyone wants to listen to it, it's not. I'll on, sing it for you. <laughs> it's not on the original Broadway cast recording, obviously, yeah. but it is on Susan Egan, who was the original Belle, sings it on one of her albums. Yeah. So you could listen to it on there. Yeah, on she Spotify. didn't get a new song. No, <laughs> poor Ooh. Susan. Well. Home is technically new. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Uh, so, do you have any more fun facts? Just, like, just a random one. Please. To the woman who wrote the version of the story that the Disney animated film was based on, I just, you know how you end up on Wikipedia rabbit holes when you're researching these things? Yeah. So, she had three marriages. This is the 1700s, mind you. Her third marriage was to Thomas Pichon, mm. who, and I quote, was a French government agent during Father Lelouch's War. Pichon is renowned for betraying the French, Acadian and Mi'kmaq forces by providing information to the British, which led to the fall of Beausejour. And he has been referred to as the Judas of Arcadia. Whoa. (laughs) Um, Apologies to the French people. That wasn't that bad. No, it wasn't that bad. Wow, that's actually fascinating. Mm. So her third marriage was to this big spy. Yeah. Very famous spy. I love that. So she wrote the story upon which it's based. Yeah, Yeah. that's cool. That's really cool. Um, I don't have any more fun facts, but I have a number of talking points. But let's talk about the music maybe next. Well, like, of course we love the songs. They're classics. Ashman and Menken are geniuses and their songs are perfection. Like, we know that. And I really like a lot of the additions to the musical. This is one of the few musicals where I think the, the stuff that was added was good. Yeah, um, it's certainly close to the standard. Yeah, like we talk about Mary Poppins and I don't think the additions were any good. Like there are a couple of, of examples where I don't think it's worked. But this is one where I think it works. So particularly yeah, A Change in Me and Home that Belle gets, those yeah. two numbers, they're excellent. Everyone knows and loves the Beast Big End of Act 1 number, which is called If I Can't Love Her. If, yeah. Um, it's this rousing, lovely melody with some, like, it's got weird connotations, sure, but musically, <laughs> beautiful. So I do want to talk about that. Like, isn't it a bit weird that he's like, if I can't love her, who? <laughs> 
He literally says that. Like, is, is it the beast struggling maybe with a bit of asexuality? Do you think? I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, like, what are you trying to say, beast? Like, yeah. if I can't love her, I might as well die. Like, he says that. Yeah. Which is also like really. I'm just so glad he never actually sings it to her because that is incredibly manipulative shit. Yeah. Like, that is like classic. Yeah, like gaslighting. Yeah, yeah, like come on, dude. It's really, but also he's twenty at the time. Like he's just, yeah, he's a, a baby. Yeah, and like twenty year olds are dramatic, and I don't know. It's orchestrated. The the show's orchestrated for almost a full orchestra, which is cool. Yeah. Um, like I was looking, I was looking, I was gonna list them, but it's like three French horns. Yeah. And like it's it's basically an orchestra, which is cool. There isn't an, an option when you if you license it to have like a smaller, a more paired back. Yeah. Or, um accompaniment yeah but i don't know i don't know how that would work like this song if i can't love her needs a ton of strings right yeah. so it's i think it's quite prohibitive in terms of it would be a difficult one to mount for many reasons yeah so like i know scotia's school was going to put it on during COVID. it got cancelled obviously she was going to play bell oh. but they were using the backing tracks which makes a lot of okay, sense Okay, yeah that makes sense for a school especially for a school that's right but if you were put like if you're in amateur society the costumes and the the music so true just almost impossible so like i don't know how you do the beast transformation successfully my understanding is our local theater is still hiring out those costumes from the mid 2000s because like you're not going to make that stuff. That's yeah. really specific. It's and it's like it's got to be good quality and yeah. it's got to not look shit. And yeah, once again, the transformation thing is quite a big question mark in terms of staging. Like, mm. um, it's got to not be terrible. It can't just be like a sheet, you know, yeah. falling. So that's hard because it happens on stage. If you've never seen the show, that happens on stage. Like he's center. And it's supposed to be so like true. He's changing from a beast into a man. Um, yeah, so that that's tough. I've seen productions where they've had like used a completely different actor. That, that's what they did at our local theatre. Yeah, which is also a bit hurtful to the actor who plays the Absolutely beast. Absolutely, like, oh is. no, you are not Prince material. Yeah, <laughs> we'll find some handsome guy. Um, but yeah, that that to me is like it's not a very accessible show in that way. Yeah, you know, this is this so true. One of and the it, hardest, and shows. it's probably the reason we haven't seen it that I, much. That's what I think when yeah. I was sort of reflecting on it. Like, oh yeah, who would put this on? Like, it's a huge undertaking. Yeah, um, you would be better off putting on the Phantom of the Opera. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, this is too much magic. And even just thinking of yeah, the Lumiere, the candlestick should have fire on his hands. Yeah, how do you do that if you're an exactly. amateur show? Yeah. Oh, so true. Mm. Um. One of the things I want to talk about, it's it must be one of the more famous fairy tales that isn't the Brothers Grimm oh, or yeah. Hans Christian Andersen. I just assumed it was. Yes, same. Until so I did, did this I. research. I was like, oh. Um, until I did this, it made me realise I didn't really know anything about the original story. It's based on unlike lots of the other like yeah. famous well, musicals that are based on fairy tales. Well, I think most of us had like a book of the Grimm's fairy tales. Yeah. Or, like, you know. Exactly. But I didn't have this one. No, same. So, so I had a video of VHS of Beauty and the Beast. And I think my mum must have bought me this off-brand Beauty and the Beast VHS thinking it was the Disney one, but it was not. Mm. And it was based on the original and it is wildly different. Wow. Right? Like quite dark. So dark. Interesting. <laughs> but I, so like I knew the story because this video, I was like, what is this? Like this is not Beauty and the Beast. It was upsetting. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, Beauty and the Beast is considered to be Broadway's first legitimate family show. Mm. And I hadn't really thought about this, but of course, um, before then, uh, before it opened on Broadway, you might have been dragged along to Cats or Phantom, but they weren't really created for kids. Yeah. Um, while, while now, like whole shows are aimed at kids. Yeah. So that, that is one of the things go. that I really felt like was a real turning point yeah. uh, in terms of musical theatre history. Yeah. Um, but I'd never thought about that before. Me neither. And like... 
Okay, that that's great actually because we want accessibility, but it also seems quite mercenary. Mm, <laughs> like, like yeah. oh wow, yeah. No one's making this because like Beauty and the Beast wasn't yeah, put about on money. stage yeah. because it was a burning need to make this piece of art. Yeah, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it shouldn't matter. It doesn't really matter. Whatever. And um, additionally, like the success of this musical inspired like a whole bunch of Broadway productions that were geared towards young women, mm. uh, which also that wasn't really a thing. So like hairsprays among them, Wicked, Legally Blonde, Matilda, yeah. like that really was kind of the the impetus mm. for a lot of those shows as well. Interesting considering it's not like it's not a very female No. No, it's not a female show. No. Wow. Um it got terrible reviews on Broadway. Yeah. Uh but of course the audience ate it up. Yeah. So um this was the first Disney Sage adaptation. I think we mentioned that. Yeah. And it also as I said, like marked the real turning point of Broadway turning into what it is today. So like remembering that when it opens, Times Square was like a dangerous mm. place. Like, yeah. and I've read a little bit about this over the years, but it, it was like Disney theatrical basically went to Rudy Giuliani, who was the mayor at the time and was like, or maybe it was even, yeah, I think it was Giuliani. It might've even been before then. Wasn't he mayor for like 700 years? It was a long time. And basically it was like, we will bring our shows here, but you have to clean this place up. And there was still like yeah. porn theaters and stuff like that on, on Broadway, like yeah. on 42nd street. And now of course it's this like, very incredibly commercial yeah very shiny like a yeah. theme park yeah. right and that is not that was not the case 20 years ago which is 30 fascinating years ago. yeah 30 yeah like a poor thing it was 30 um so yeah it was <laughs> so i think that this um spark this show sparked the trend not just of disney turning their animated musicals into stage shows but in general movie studios mm. specifically trying to turn their properties into mm. stage shows so like we talk a lot about like oh every single thing is an adaptation and uh, people need yeah. to remember that has always been the yeah, case, right? Things are derivative, and, yes. and um, and it just used to be that it was more books and f- and yeah. um and plays, plays than it yeah. was films, right? But it's always been the case, and there were like movies turned into musicals before this. But I think that what it really has, like I could say, like it's the the earmark of like movie studios being like, oh, we can make money doing this yes. and it being led by the studio. Yes. As opposed to someone saying that I love that movie, exactly. let's make it a musical. Exactly. Yeah. So yep. I think that that was really the turning point of that trend yeah. as well. And no one's done it quite as well as Disney, obviously. Yeah. Well, certainly no one's done it to the same financial success. Let's yeah. put it that way. Yeah. 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 It is fascinating. Mm. And like, yeah, this is not, there's no judgment there. It's just like, it is what it is. And yeah. Yeah. It's just an interesting point. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, do you have any gateway songs? Yeah. So um, I've linked to a couple of recordings. Yeah. The Obviously the original Broadway cast. I've linked to the film soundtrack. Um, the I don't recommend one. listening to them though. Don't listen to Not them. the film soundtrack? Oh, no, the original Broadway. Yeah. I don't like it. Okay, yeah. Um, the film's great. And I've and I've linked to the 2017 film soundtrack as well. Mm. Yeah, look, you and I talked briefly about this um, off mic, like, I'm not a big fan of so Susan Egan. Susan Egan yeah. We haven't really talked about the cast, but um, and Terrence uh, Mann, like both Terrence, quite old sounds. Yeah, but I will say I love Terrence Mann. Yeah, I don't. I don't necessarily like have an emotional connection to him as the beast, but no. like I love him as a performer. He was, of course, the original Rum Tum Tugger. In his original Javert yeah. on Broadway. In, yeah, uh, an in incredibly credentialed performer. Yeah. We've talked about him here before. Yeah, we've talked about times. him on here. Um, like amazing, but yeah, like I don't. He's just It's something about the style of singing and the style of recording. It's yeah. very dated. We were saying 
I don't know if soon after this, the way that they recorded Broadway musicals changed, but mm. it just feels quite old yeah, for the age old. that it is. And not just like the way that it's recorded. I think it just sounds, everyone sounds old. I sound old. And Susan Egan was not old. She was only born in 1970. So like she was wow. young. Wow. Yeah. You know, like. Yeah, that's crazy. Mm. And, um, but yeah, like I just don't, I don't yeah. know. I don't yeah. really rate. I don't. I'm with you. Oh, yeah, I'm it's sorry. not an enjoyable listen. I hope if they do re-record it, like yeah. if uh, either that UK production or yeah. here, uh, because there was also an Australian cast. It's not on Spotify, but there was an Australian cast recording yes. with Hugh Jackman in it. So if you can, I'm I'm sure that bits of that it's are on YouTube. on YouTube. Yeah, um, seek it out. But yeah, mm. it's uh, it's a shame. Yeah, it is a shame. Yeah, particularly just because those yeah, like a change in me and home. They're really great songs, and you should be able to hear them. Um, my gateway songs are kind of random. I kind of just went for my favorite songs instead of. Gateways, if nice. you will. Uh, bell, I love the op- like yeah. after the pro the opening bell. I just think is a genius. Like, it's great, song. and it's everyone knows it. Yeah. A baker so good, tray. so catchy. Yeah. Um, I have put if I can't love her. Yeah, because as much as as you say, it's kind of a strange, strange. Um, song. It is pretty. Yes, it's uh, beautiful. I enjoy listening to it. Um, it's that like classic. You know, um, if I have to hear another seventeen-year-old singing it, though, I know. I will. Well, it's because it's not too high. Yeah, I know. It's a it's a proper Barry song. It's a good point. The Beast yeah. as a lead is yep. not a tenor. He's a so Barry. So I think I think that's why you heard a lot of seventeen-year-olds sing it because they don't have the ranges uh, yeah. to sing much else. That's yeah. Written like that. What's interesting is that we expected the Beast to be a lot older, but like he's twenty, so yeah. it's I shouldn't be whinging about seventeen. Yeah, it's, that's so it, true. Like, that is really what he should be. Uh, and my last one is something there. Oh my god! I've always loved something there. Interesting, which is like you know when they're when the the, the Just various bits of furniture love, yeah. are like yeah, want them to. You've chosen the pure like purely the film apart from if I can't love her. Correct. It's very classic. I just went with home. Just home. I think, yeah, I think it's a really good entry point if you don't know the extra songs. Mm, like, I think it's really that's indicative. That's true. Because it's got, it's really clever that it's got a lot of the um, thematic stuff. Like, there's a lovely motif. It's the same. Um, anyway, yeah. so it's the same sort of melody as a lot of the other traditional songs you would have heard in the film. Yeah. Um, so it's familiar, but it's cool. So I think you should listen to that one. Everything else you'll know from the film. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. Um, but I will say, if you want to listen to the song Beauty and the Beast, you should only ever listen to Angela Lansbury sing it. As in, like, yeah, the theme. Because her accent all the time. in there is just, mwah, chef's mwah. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so true. And but for some reason, I remember heaps of people releasing that song in the 90s. Like, I think Celine Dion She did. She it. did a version. I think that might have been the credits um, version. Yeah, and like, why? Well, they that's what they used to do for I every know. Disney movie. I hated it. Pop versions. Yeah. Oh, the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Don't see it. Uh, look, I disagree, Josephine. I'm keen <laughs> to see it next year. I just want to see some of the magic. I want to see the, the theatre magic, how they do it. Yeah. yeah. You felt that way when you saw Mary Poppins recently. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? You really enjoyed that mm. aspect of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I love and, a bit and of that's not magic. a show that you like. No, no. Yeah. And this will be the same with Beauty and the Beast. So yeah. I, will, I will go see it for the magic. Yep. Exactly. That's why we like I feel theater. the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll uh, talk to you next time. Yes, we'll talk at you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.